Well, um, with those good words out of the way, um, we are going to a better word, which is the word of God. And uh, we've been in a series in Genesis, and we've called this series Foundations, because there are so many foundational truths in Genesis, and we are pausing along the way just look at certain topics that Genesis addresses that are, that are important to look at more deeply. And today we're looking at the, the problem of the evil, uh, and not, not so much from a philosophical standpoint, but just our world's broken. Why is the world the way it is? How do we make sense of that, or how do the scriptures make sense of that? So that is our topic for today, and uh, I'm going to begin our scripture reading. I'm going to begin with scripture reading. Really, what we're doing today is on the foundation of all of Genesis 1 through 5 and the work we've done so far. So I'm not going to read all of Genesis 1 through 5, but if you are tuning in or listening for the first time or as a one-off sermon, you don't, haven't been part of the series, I'd encourage you to go back and read all of Genesis 1 through 5 because we're really building on that, on that foundation. But today I'm going to be reading from Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, and chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. So I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. First Genesis 2, 15, uh, 16 and 17. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You can be seated as we pray. Father, we do need your word. We need your gospel. We need your good news. We need your Holy Spirit to cause us in our hearts and minds to respond to the power of your word. So we together ask for the help of your spirit, the movement, the activity of your spirit as we think on your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Most of us do not need convincing that this world is broken. But I want to begin the sermon with four proofs of its brokenness. Proof number one are decaying bodies. By this I mean all manner of, of sickness and disease, and I also mean death itself. To see a loved one fighting to breathe, or to deal with the unrelenting agony of chronic pain, 
or to watch your spouse battle dementia, or to grapple with the trauma of a mental health issue. All these are gut-wrenching. This is not right. And death, even if it is universal and expected, is universally devastating. Anyone who has had to say a final goodbye knows that it's wretched. And then, how we ache for the ones we've lost. Our world is broken. Proof number two, natural calamity. A fire destroys a house and all the memories and mementos that it contained. A famine causes thousands to starve. A tsunami leaves a wake of destruction that takes a generation to recover from. Some such disasters are a byproduct of humanity's maleficence. Others seem to be the dictates of cruel fate. But when it's your house that floods or your town destroyed, the heartache's the same either way. These natural disasters are a clear proof that something is off about our world. Proof number three, evil deeds. By this I mean the evil acts of humans against humans. It might be of the sort of unconscionable Deeds done on a large scale. Genocide. War. Slavery. Tyranny. Oppression. Or it might be the kind of horrible deeds done in private. Abuse. Degradation. Infidelity. Hate. Rape. The world's a monstrous place. Evil lurks in shadows and around corners. It leaks into all of life. And to even try to get our minds around the horror of it all, it's overwhelming. It's too much. Proof number four, our own hearts. Those of us who are honest with ourselves know that the poison out there is also in here. It's said that the Times once sent out an inquiry to, to famous authors asking them the 
question, what is wrong with the world today? And among the responses, one stood out. And it simply read, Dear Sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. Read as the uh, cheeky response of a philosopher, it's on point. But read as a crushed man's honest assessment of his own heart, it's nearly depressing. Because we know it's true, not of Chesterton, of us. There's a whole lot in here that's dark. Stuff that only I know about. All that to say, something is wrong with our world. And it drives the question, why? Why is such a grand and beautiful and compelling world so laced with pain and heartache and atrocities. All of us have to grapple with these questions. Every worldview must answer these kind of questions. So how does the Bible answer these questions? How does the Bible answer the why of evil. Now, there are two aspects to that why question. One aspect is the what is the cause question. Like the question, why are M&Ms called M&Ms? In this sense, the question, why is the world the way it is? It's seeking the explanation of cause. The other aspect of the why question is, what is the purpose? Like the question, why did he give me this map? In this sense, the question, why is the world the way it is, is seeking the purpose for it. It's trying to make sense of it. Now, both of these different aspects of the why question are important and for different reasons. So I want to look at each. And so first, let's look at the question of, What caused the brokenness? Why is in the sense of what led us here? Now here, Genesis is very clear on the answer. It tells us that a good God created a good world. And it describes the situation in which that good world thrives because it is in right fellowship with its creator. Particularly when God's image bearers, who are charged with with taking care of the earth and ruling over it, when those image bearers are in right relationship with him, the whole world thrives. So the relationship of wholeness and harmony between creator and image bearer is critical. When mankind acknowledges God as the one true arbiter of good and evil, as the source of life, as their king, all of creation 
thrives. But God warned the first man, Adam, that if he were to rebel against him by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, well then, death would be unleashed that very day. So that's how our God made the world totally good. With the danger lines clearly demarcated. So what goes wrong? How do we go from that good situation to here? And Genesis tells us Satan in the form of a serpent comes and tempts Eve causing her to doubt God's word. And then Adam, consciously, having heard that, explicitly disobeys God's word. He takes from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and he eats. He rebels against God and usurps God's role as the rightful king. And Adam's conscious coup against God's reign fundamentally damages his relationship with his creator. Adam and Eve are cut off from God's presence. And it changes everything. From then on, Satan's out to get us snapping at our heels. Our, our human relationships are damaged. We're at odds with one, another, with one another. Nature is set against us. And death sets in. The beautiful world is broken. And as you read the Bible, it's very honest about the post-fall nature of our world. We read as Eve's first offspring kills her second. We're not off to a good start. And we see Lamech with his sexual immorality and his boastful violence If we go on to read further in Genesis, it's not just the Cains and Lamechs that are the problem. It's all of mankind. Abraham is lying and jeopardizing his wife. He's sexually immoral, leaving poor Hagar vulnerable and abandoned. Isaac and Rachel's family is a mess with two brothers who are at each other and parents playing favorites. Then Jacob has sons by four different women and, and, and his sons only agree not to murder one of their brothers because it becomes more advantageous for them to sell that brother into slavery. You have a story of Judah sleeping with a prostitute and yet at the same time condemning his daughter-in-law for being sexually immoral. Genesis is 
honest about the state of our world. Unlike many Eastern religions, the, the Bible does not talk about evil in this world as kind of something that's just made up, nearly made up, something to be transcended, some kind of mind over matter thing that minimizes the reality of this broken world. The Bible is blunt and honest and accurate in its assessment. Our world, fundamentally, is a mess. You read the Bible from your ease and comfort. You find in it some curiosities, some strange stories. When you read the Bible from your heartache, you find good company on the pages of Scripture. The Bible from beginning to end is unrelenting in its answer of how it got this way. It places the blame in part on Satan, but ultimately on Adam's rebellion. By one man came death. Adam's rebellion cut us off from God. And all of us since Adam have followed his lead. We too are rebels against God. We, the scriptures say in Ephesians 2, are born in sin, born dead. We, by our actions, prove we are part of our ancestors' coup. We are all born estranged from our Heavenly Father, and as a result of that, we cannot thrive. Uh, most people have their Christmas decorations down now, but just a couple of months ago, you could have driven around and, and at night see these beautiful blow-up, light-up Christmas displays. But then when you drive around in the daytime, what are they doing? They're just limp and ugly on the, on the lawn. Why is it that they're limp and ugly? Because they're cut off from their power source. They need to be connected to that power source to be what they were intended to be, to, to be beautiful and to bring joy. That's exactly how it is with us. Our world is like the daytime Christmas decorations. There's something wrong, something not right. This is not how it's supposed to be. And it is because we are cut off from our creator. Our sin has separated us from him. We are spiritually bankrupt and dead. Now this is so important for us to understand. The, the why as in the cause of our problems today, of why the world is the way it is today. Because when you're feeling ill, you need a right diagnosis in order to get better. Are you feeling ill because you ate poison? Are you feeling ill because your appendix burst? Are you feeling ill because you don't realize you're pregnant? 
You can't get better if you don't know the cause. If we get the wrong answer to, to what ails our world, we'll end up looking to the wrong place for solutions. But if we have the right answer, we'll look to the right place and we can actually begin to find hope and healing. So if what's wrong with the world is that we struggle to love and accept ourselves, then self-esteem will be the answer. If what's wrong with the world are rules and systems meant to prevent us to, from doing that which makes us happy, then we need to rebel against those systems. If what's fundamentally wrong with the world is that those in power have oppressed those without a voice, then we need to topple those in power. If what's wrong with this world is that uneducated people do ignorant things, well, then we need to educate everyone. If what's wrong with the world is simply that basically good people have learned bad behavior from watching others, then we need to cut off those negative influences and cultivate the basic good in people. You get the idea, right? But if what's wrong with this world is that our collective sin has severed us from our Creator, then whatever the solution is must deal with our sin to somehow pay its penalty or, or atone for it and thus restore us to a whole relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then God can be restored to His rightful place in His creation on the throne of the world and on the throne of our lives. And that is the hope. That is the path toward healing. Many of you who are listening today are hurting. The world has ravaged you. Or maybe it's your own sin that's ravaged you. We need a cure. And that's why it's important we have the right diagnosis. Right diagnosis leads to a right cure. That's why it's important we understand what caused our brokenness. It's important we think rightly about why the world is the way it is. If we don't get that first aspect of the why question right, we'll just be chasing after medicine, after medicine, after medicine, after medicine that will never cure us.
But it's also important we understand that second aspect of the why question, the purpose side of it. Why did God allow this world to become so broken? And as explicit as the Bible is in explaining the cause of evil in this world, it is surprisingly not nearly as explicit in telling us what God is up to and allowing it. Indeed, you got whole books of the Bible like Job and Ecclesiastes that explore the problem of evil, evil without answering the why question. Nonetheless, there are three standard answers that we can deduce from the scriptures on this topic. And the first relates to God's intent for his relationship with his image bearers. The idea here is that coerced love, forced loyalty, is not the best kind of relationship. If God created us with no choice but to love and be loyal, humans would somehow be more robot than humans. So, yes, God could have created something more robotic than humans, but that creature wouldn't have had the capacity for all the richness of relationship that actual choice-possessing humans could have. If we can choose to love and serve God, it's, it's better. Even if that means there's a potential we may not choose him. The second standard answer relates to God's goodness being most fully displayed in the brokenness of the world. Uh, a hammer might be a wonderful hammer, but until it has a nail to pound through wood, you would never know what a good hammer it is. Well, God, our God, at his core, is, is deeply loving. He is compassionate and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. So much so that this God would, out of his very nature, send forth his Son to suffer and die in our stead so that he could rescue us. That is the kind of heart he has. but we would never know the full depth and breadth of that love and mercy had sin never been part of this world. Only a broken world allows God's love and mercy to be seen and known in its fullness. So you see God in all his glory, God is glorified, shown for all his goodness against the pale backdrop of this world. You see this line of thought in a chapter like Ephesians chapter 1. The third standard answer points us to eternity. The ultimate world that God is creating actually isn't this broken world. It's his eternal world, the world that goes on and on and on. And compared to that world, this broken world is just a blip. 
And if God is actually good, he'd have to make that eternal world the best possible world. Now, in so many things in life, our, experiencing of some, our experience of something is far richer if we have known the want of it. We all know food tastes better when you're hungry. A healthy birth means far more when you've experienced the pain of a stillbirth. A caring and protective husband means far more when your dad was the opposite. What if, what if the only way for us to enjoy the best, of po- the best possible of worlds was for God to create a little pre-world for that world in which we could taste brokenness? in which we could taste estrangement, in which we could discover how our own foul rule tastes. Now, if that were true, if we couldn't know that world in its best way without this, then God would not be good unless he allowed such a world. Because if he didn't allow such a world, he would be making an eternal world that was less than the best. Now this third answer is compelling because the Bible makes makes clear that the eternal world is our real hope, our real destination. It's the promised land of both the Old and New Testaments that it's it's the place where all of God's ultimate promises are fulfilled Where Genesis begins in a good garden, Revelation ends in a better garden. That's the eternal garden. It's clear from the whole of Scripture that God is making that world as good as it possibly can be. You also find support for this third answer in Romans 9, verses 22 through 24. So those are three standard answers for why God allowed evil in this world to allow us to choose relationship with him, to fully display his own goodness, to to create the best of possible eternal world. I think they're all valid. They're all derived from scripture. But it's still important to think about how the scriptures aren't that preoccupied with such a question which is significant given that the brokenness of this world is on nearly every page of the Bible. So I I want us to, to take note of that. This is a critical observation about the Bible's response to evil. Instead of giving a definitive statement on why God allowed evil, do you know what it does instead? it instead turns our gaze on the character of our God. And that's exactly right. Because in the midst of the pain and hardship, 
if you could know God like I know God, then you would trust him with whatever's going on. It's like being a toddler and having a mom in your room in the midst of your fever. I'm going to be okay because mom is here. I don't need a lengthy explanation of viruses and antibodies. I just need my mom by my side telling me it's going to be okay. My good, strong, tender, just, compassionate God is at the helm. I am safe in his arms, sure in his care. So whatever ills this world throws my way, I will not be moved. I am safe in his harbor. One of the people in the pages of Scripture who experienced the, the, the broadest depth or the broadest and deepest level of pain is, is King David. Listen to what he writes at the beginning of Psalm 18. I love you, O Yahweh, my strength. Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon Yahweh, who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. The point of the Bible isn't to help us understand all the deeper mysteries of divine providence. But the Bible does make a point to reveal who the God is that is behind all those mysteries. Because once we know who that God is, those other questions become lesser questions. Let me put it like this. When we're hurting... We don't need a philosopher. We need a father. And that's what the Bible gives us. I don't know why that particular evil event in history or in your life happened. But I know my God. And I trust him. So you have the book of Genesis, its foundations. And Genesis is so honest that we live in a broken world. And it's very clear about the cause of it. 
So serpent paired with Adam's rebellion, we rebelled and became estranged from our creator. But Genesis doesn't explain God's purpose in allowing the fall. What it does instead is introduce us to the God we can trust amidst the storm. Just, just listen to a handful of the things that we've already seen about this God in the first five chapters of Genesis. Genesis shows us a God who is good. The creator of all good things. And it shows us the kind of world that God created before sin stained it. It's a blessed and thriving and whole world. And it shows us that God is sovereign. He's king. That even the serpent Lucifer must bow his head and yield to God's pronouncements. And it shows us a God who hates sin and all it brings, who warns us about its dangers, and who is grieved by the damage it does. And this is significant. It shows us a God who is not bent on destroying us despite the fact that we have staged a coup against him. Rather, it shows us a God who is near to those who see their need and cry out to him in faith. Such is the God of the universe. Such is the God who created it all. We can trust such a God. It is not always ours to fully understand, but when we know our God, really know him, we're able to sleep in the stern of the ship during the storm because we know he's at the helm. Our world is broken. Though it's beautiful and compelling in so many ways, each of its glories is tainted by sin. And the scriptures are clear about the cause. And then the scriptures turn our eyes onto who our God is amidst this evil. But they also tell us the way out. There is a solution. This broken world is not the eternal world. This broken world will come to an end. At some point, the cosmic voice will thunder, Enough! And Jesus will return to usher in something far better, something that is ultimately eternal. And on the pages of Scripture, we're told a day is coming when death will be no more. Disease and sickness will end. A day is coming when the lion will lay down with the lamb. 
when the forces of nature will not battle with mankind, but instead cooperate in blissful harmony, and a day is coming when war will end, when oppression shall cease, swords will be turned into plows and spears into pruning hooks. And it will be that way because of a lamb, Revelation tells us, a lamb who was slain. It will be that way because God and sinners can be reconciled by Jesus' vicarious death. He bore our sins so that we could be reconciled to our Father. I don't know all the answers to why God has allowed evil to pervade our earth to the level he has. And I certainly don't have the answers to why he's allowed evil to touch your life. But because of the scriptures, I do know who God is. And I know what he is doing. And I'm confident that if you know the same, it will be enough. So will you run to him and find your shelter in him amidst this evil, tear-stained world? you pray with me? Father, I know that all the different philosophical questions can just light up our brains. Or maybe it's not a philosophical question, it's just the ache and the, the pain of what we've experienced or what we've seen. So I pray that people amidst that would know their heavenly Father and run to him because of Jesus. It's what we need. And we pray, as we sang earlier, even so, come. Come quickly, Lord. Make this blighted world of ours thine own fair world again. Amen.